Hello, my name is Alex, and I am your host today for the Stock Stories podcast. Stock Stories is a podcast dedicated to helping you, the individual investor, make better investing decisions. And how do we do that? We do it primarily through case studies of different companies, and we also talk about mental models for better decision making. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Stock Stories. I'm excited to bring another episode to you today. Uh, We have been talking about a variety of different topics. Uh, Last week, we covered the mental model of mental models, aka thought experiments. And I have been doing some research on another company for you guys. It is in the auto industry. Now, Unfortunately, I do not have that ready for you today, even though I've worked on it. Um, It's a new industry to me, and I just want to make sure I'm understanding things properly. So in the meantime, we are going to talk about another mental model, and this is an important one. It has a lot to do with statistics, and it's very practical and should be easy to understand. So let's get into the law of large numbers. All right, so um, as usual with these mental models, I kind of like to explain the background first and define everything just so you understand what it is that I'm talking about, what's the main concept, and then we'll just dive into one or two examples to make it really applicable to our lives. So the law of large numbers, this is also known as regression to the mean. Um, Very simply, this is a mental model that says that if you have a large set of data for any given thing, any given statistic, things will usually revert to the middle of that data. So if you remember statistics from high school, you remember that bell curve, right? So there's on the x-axis, you've got different characteristics, and then on the y-axis, going up and down, you've got the frequency that something happens. And you kind of draw this bell-shaped curve up and down. Um, It's a little hard to communicate this via audio, but if you remember it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, So basically what this says is that over a certain number of different sample sizes, um, things will revert to the middle of that sample size. So that big bell-shaped middle of the curve is where most of the action happens. Most of the results will be in that range. And this is really important to understand because a lot of times we can equate something in our mind as something 
uh, causing something else, one cause creating a certain outcome. But really, we've only looked at it over such a small amount of samples that there's no way we can statistically verify that. Maybe we just happened to pick the samples that ended up with one result as opposed to another. Um, so that's kind of what a normal distribution is all about, is smoothing those results out by providing more data to look at. Um, so it's the big confusion between correlation and causation. Here's a simple example. So if you and I were sitting in a room together and a puppy walks in the room, we say, oh, that, that puppy's really cute. And then we would hear that puppy probably bark. So if you say, oh man, all puppies bark so much, all puppies bark a lot, then your experience has only been hanging out with this just this one puppy. And if another puppy comes in the room and starts barking as well, you would say, oh, there it is. All puppies, they just, they love to bark. Well, you're basing a conclusion based on a very, very limited data set, a limited set of anecdotal experiences. You've literally observed two data points at this point, which is two puppies walking to a room and them both barking. And so to you, this starts to form a pattern in your mind that you believe to be true, that all puppies must bark. But in reality, that might not be the case. Maybe if you vary the breed of dog, um, some dogs might bark less than others, or you vary things like the time of day that the puppies walk into the room. Puppies might be tired or hungry or playful. Uh, there's all sorts of variables that you could tweak in this experiment to try to understand how much puppies bark. And so that's just a very simple way of saying that the sample size really matters. If you brought in, say, 2,000 different puppies over the course of an entire week and you were just sitting in a room and the puppies were coming in and out of all different breeds, shapes, sizes, and colors, and what have you, other variables that you could think of, then you could begin to record that data. And then from there, you'd probably see a sort of bell curve correlation with regards to the barking. Um, and all sorts of things in life in this world can be observed with a normal distribution. And uh, investing is no different. So let's get into an investing example. So let's say that you buy a stock and then it immediately goes up. Well, of course, you're really happy about that, right? Because you think like, oh, wow, like I bought it at the perfect time. I bought at the bottom. I'm making all this money in such a short period of time. Everything is great. Well, yeah, but just because you bought it, it didn't make it go up, right? Like, <laughs> uh, and similarly, in, on the other side of the coin, if you bought a stock and then it immediately went down, you might think to yourself, oh man, I'm such a terrible investor. The stock went down immediately, but really has nothing to do with you. You know, you know, Maybe you did buy at the high, but you buying at that moment did not cause the stock to go down. Uh, so... If, if this happens over a long period of time and then 
and then you start to notice that all of your stocks go down and continue to go down over many years and many months, then yeah, maybe you pick the wrong ones. Or if you pick some stocks and over a long period of time, maybe they go down at first, but then they go up over time. Well, hey, maybe you made a good series of investment choices that led to that. Um, but it's difficult to to say that for sure, one way or the other, if you look at your stock, even over a period of just one year. Um, I know that may seem like a long time to a lot of people, but in the world of stocks as an asset class, that is a very short period of time. And so... Um, you know, I, I can think of stocks in my portfolio, really one in particular that I won't mention, that uh, that has gone down ever since I bought it. And um, when it's gone down, I bought more and thought, okay, this is even better of an opportunity. And maybe it is, but I have yet to see the fruits of that. But only time will tell as the sample size of time continues to get larger and larger. Will I be able to see... Um, for my own family's portfolio, if that actually worked out. So sample size matters and regression to the mean matters. And I want to touch on this regression to the mean principle. So the stocks that we pick will likely resort to the mean. We know that over a long period of time, the S&P 500 over a century of data has returned with dividends reinvested about 10%. Um, scholars can argue exactly on the exact number. Some say 11, some say 12, some say 10 point something, but around 10% uh, nominally, not accounting for inflation. And so that's kind of the mean that we're working with as investors based on a historical data set. So if we pick, say, 10 stocks for our portfolio, we have to come to grips with the fact that some of the stocks that we pick are going to be better than others and some will be worse than others. But reality shows that a lot of them will probably be okay. So if we pick 10, two of them will probably be poor investments or relatively poor investments for us. Six will probably be mediocre and two will be really excellent opportunities that produce a lot of results for us. And so the key is to not get caught up and try to make every investment decision perfectly, but it's simply to recognize that reversion to the mean is inevitable. Our job is just to tilt the probabilities in our favor so that our personal mean is higher than the mean of the market itself, if that makes sense. So if we can tweak the probabilities in our favor, what I mean by saying that is if we can find those businesses with some better than average characteristics that have cheaper than average prices, higher than average growth rates, better than average management as, ter- as far as their integrity and their capability, um, higher than average returns to shareholders, higher than average return on equity. I'll just You could go on and on about different characteristics that make excellent companies. And a lot of research has been done to try to figure out what those things are, both quantitative and qualitative. But ultimately, we still revert to some kind of mean. Uh, 
some people's mean just happens to be much better than others. Like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, for example, their reversion to the mean has been excellent because even though they've picked some bad investments over the years, they're not perfect. They have managed to pick some stocks and some companies that have been extraordinarily, extraordinarily successful. And these massive successes more than made up for the couple of losses that they had and more than made up for the mediocre investments that they had. And so those massively successful investments are what they are known for today. And so that's the way that we want to be as investors as well. We can't pick everything perfectly, but we can still try to find the ones that will perform greatly for us. Um, uh, Peter Lynch once said that six out of 10 is an enviable record on Wall Street. And I agree with him. Uh, I think that, you know, if you pick six out of 10 stocks and companies that just hit it out of the park, then you're doing really good. Even if the other four that you pick go bankrupt, you'll probably still make a lot of money. And that's just the way that the mathematics of diversification would work in this situation, depending on how well those six did. Um, So don't get caught up in small sample sizes. Focus on long-term results, long periods of time, and just trying to tilt the probabilities in your favor. Um, Yeah, another example is that smaller stocks tend to have higher long-term growth rates. And this is seen over a large set of data. If you were to just take five years of data and look at small stocks versus mid-cap stocks versus large stocks, you might not see much of a difference. You might see an inverse difference than the long-term data shows. But if you were to stress that sample size out way long over a period of centuries, what centuries of data have shown is that, yes, small stocks um, that are small companies, they grow much faster than large companies. And that's reality. And it makes sense mathematically as well. Um, But as far as this mental model is concerned, uh, it's that amount of data that tells us that story. And so from there, we can say, okay, we're seeing this long-term trend with a lot of different pieces of information. This must be the way that things have worked historically, because we can clearly observe it and soundly observe it with a lot of data. So that's kind of what I wanted to get across to you today is that just because something happens once or twice, whether it's good or bad, doesn't mean that it will happen again over a long period of time. And this applies to our portfolio. It applies to uh, puppies barking or whatever example you want to think of. There are so many applications for this mental model in real life. And so I just want to impart upon you that thinking about things in this way can help you make better decisions and just make sure that you question your assumptions. All right. With that, I'm going to sign off on this episode. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you in the next one. presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. 
You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.